working this weekend. I'm doing overnights on CBS Sports Radio. Friday night, Saturday night. So, uh, how is this podcast being published bright and early Saturday morning? Am I multitasking? You'll never know. I think I've mentioned before, whenever I'm doing overnight shows, I, I want nothing but praise. I want nothing but uh, applause. And I want everybody to know what I'm going through. We're all going through this together, right? No. I also just like to complain. But welcome in. It is episode number 27 of the Sports Kiki. My name, as always, is Alex Reamer. You can find us every Saturday wherever you listen to your favorite out sports podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts. That's Spotify. That's Google Podcasts. Though uh, it was certainly uh, a tough week in terms of the college sports world with the Big Ten and Pac-12 suspending their fall sports seasons, including college football. I say suspending and not canceled because they have tentative plans. They've talked about maybe at least playing football in the spring, but uh, that, of course, uh, may not happen until there's a vaccine. We'll, of course, see. But, uh, you know, I say that because, obviously, at OutSports, so much of our coverage, yes, we cover professional out-athletes, WNBA, your Sue Birds, your, you know, go on down the line, Natasha Clouds, I mean, especially now, in this climate with all the social justice issues and how outspoken all those women are. But, you know, we have so many college athletes, high school athletes who we profile. And this fall, so many of them uh, looks like we'll be facing with the prospect of another lost sports season. But we still are into telling all of those stories. And these times of great struggle sometimes produce the most poignant stories and the uh, in the best stories. You know, you find out really a lot about yourself. Uh, so we'll continue to cover this. Uh, just say it's a unique moment is really an understatement. This uh, historic moment, this once in a lifetime uh, moment, it's uh, it's 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 be- it's beyond unique to to say the very least. Uh, but this week, one of my favorite stories that we had on the site was with a gay cyclist, Leah Davison. Uh, she's getting ready for the Tokyo Games, and in her pursuit, she's gained a lot of sponsor support. And as an openly LGBTQ athlete, that is not something to take for granted. And it wasn't too long ago where you know, sponsors, corporations have shied away from openly LGBTQ athletes. And in a short amount of time, we've really kind of gone the other, in the other direction on that. And the credit goes to our modern day LGBTQ. Well, of course, the Trailblazers always receive credit, but our modern-day LGBTQ sports stars, from Megan Rapinoe to Adam Rippon, I mean, these they, they're not just famous gay people. They are icons. They are national icons. I mean, the fact that Megan Rapinoe is a national icon, given how outspoken she is and unapologetic she is for her very strong views, is, is really remarkable. It's a remarkable level that we've achieved, and it shows that LGBTQ people haven't just proliferated into mainstream pop culture, but sports pop culture as well. So that was a piece by one of our uh, contributors, Ken Schultz, that is certainly worth checking out. Uh, on the podcast this week, we're going to look into a very interesting story that deals with uh, a lot of questions that we like to talk about on this podcast from time to time uh, about the dating behavior of gay men, about homophobia and politics. Um, it's uh, a story about Alex Morse, who is the young mayor of Holyoke, Massachusetts. It's a small city in the western part of the state. In the western part of the state, uh, he is challenging uh, Representative Richard Neal, who is the chair of the uh, Ways and Means Committee in the House of Representatives. So, very powerful uh, establishment politician uh, out there in Western Mass, the first congressional district. Their primary is coming up in a few weeks on September first. Uh, so why are we talking about a congressional primary on the show? Well, 
Alex Morse is openly gay, and he's been openly gay throughout his entire time in office. He was elected mayor of Holyoke at 22. He's now 31. So he's openly gay. He's an openly gay young man. He's a prominent uh, rising politician in Massachusetts. Uh, He's endorsed by the Justice Democrats and other progressive groups in his challenge to Neil. Last Friday night, the College Democrats of Massachusetts, so this big collegiate organization, sends a public letter to Alex Morse disavowing him and disinviting him from their future events, claiming he's inappropriately sought after students romantically. Morris was also an adjunct professor at UMass Amherst from fall 2014 to fall 2019. These students allege Morris matches students on dating apps as young as 18, use College Democrat events to meet students and then message them on social media, and also of having sexual contact with students. So Morse then responds to these allegations last weekend. He vehemently denies any wrongdoing, but says, yes, he has had consensual sexual relations with college students, and he has matched with college students on dating apps and talked with them on social media as well. So Morse denies wrongdoing, stresses every relationship he's had is consensual, while saying, yes, he has been involved romantically with college students. Uh, So that happens last weekend, and then... Over the next week, some reporting gets done, some really interesting reporting about the process of this public letter that the College Democrats of Massachusetts sent out. Uh, One of its leaders was a student of Richard Neal's at UMass. Neal was also an adjunct professor and talked often, according to chat transcripts and in sources within the College Democrats of Massachusetts, about getting into politics through Richard Neal and chat transcripts show that college Democrat leadership was talking about writing this letter to Morse as far back as months ago. So this has been in the works for a while. And then on Friday, we get reporting that the Massachusetts State Democratic Party got the college Democrats in Massachusetts in touch with counsel and advised them on what to do. Originally, they wanted it to be a private letter to Morse, but the counsel the State Democratic Party got them involved with told them to make it a public letter. So I don't mean to bore you with the minutia of a congressional primary race, but I just want to give the background before we get to the interview this week with Ryan Grimm, who is the Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for The Intercept. He's done a lot of the reporting on the story, including the aforementioned story that I mentioned on Friday. And of course, for our purposes, I want to I ask Ryan about two main things. Number one, as a reporter, how he maintains skepticism uh, when pursuing a story like this especially in the in the me too era with all that we've learned um you know as a journalist how do you balance you know everything we've learned the last several years with still having to maintain skepticism how difficult is that to do and what about this story kind of raised his antenna a little bit so i asked ryan about the reporting process and then also we talk about the question of if alex morris were straight would this have been a story Um, I think you can never ignore the power dynamics at all. You can never ignore them. Uh, You know, he's the mayor of a, yes, a small city, but a city nonetheless. He's a a relatively well-known figure in progressive politics. I mean, he did go to a College Democrats event. We found out it was only one since he started campaigning in October of 2019. But still, um, you know, is it really the wisest thing to be matching with college students on dating apps, hookup apps, messaging them on Instagram, even if it's innocuous. I mean, maybe not. And that's certainly a conversation worth having. And it's also worth mentioning that maybe 
uh, people who truly did feel uncomfortable by Morse's uh, approaches online uh, will still come forward, and we don't know. But going off what we know now, um, you know, I, I think that's the question worth asking. If he were straight, would this story have gained as much traction? And uh, I think no. I think no. And uh, Ryan and I go back and forth as to why. So that's coming up on the other side. It's a sports kiki. Really interesting interview coming up with Ryan Grimm. Thanks as always for listening. And welcome back to the show. We are very happy to bring in uh, our next guest to pick up on. We were talking about uh, to open up the podcast this week. Uh, he's Ryan Grimm. He's the Washington, D.C. Bureau Chief for The Intercept and the author of We've Got People from Jesse Jackson to AOC, The End of Big Money and the Rise of a Movement. Ryan, thanks for coming on the show. How are you today? I'm great. How you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, as I said off there, I've been a fan for a long time. And, you know, I think that this Alex Moore story for our purposes, um, you know, I think there are a lot of lessons that can be learned across all beats and not just politics, but sports, entertainment, culture. And, you know, I guess my first question to you is, so last Friday, the Massachusetts College Democrats write this public letter disinviting Morris from future events, claiming he acted inappropriately with college students from messaging them on social media apps to matching with them on gay dating and hookup apps. So this gets released Friday night. Obviously, it generates a lot of buzz. But what about the story gave you some red flags that said, hmm, I, I want to do some more digging here? Well, there, there were kind of two things. Uh, one, well, maybe three. Uh, so one, that it appeared in the Daily Collegian. Like, that's often a sign that uh, attempts to plant a story uh, or place a story at a bigger outlet, you know, were, were unsuccessful and you went and you ended up going to the college paper. But I said, you know what, this is about the college Democrats. Quite plausible that the college Democrats, you know, just went to the college paper because that, those are the, those are the people they know. So, okay, maybe that's fine. The second flag though, was the content of the letter than the demand. So if you remember the college Democrats said, we are, you know, disinviting you from our future events. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I thought, well, that's weird. You know, we're, we're three weeks away from a primary and, it, and we're in the dead middle of a pandemic. You know, there, there are no college democratic events. Right, right, right. That are scheduled. Like right, what, right. What, what, what is the urgency here that with which you're rushing out this, this letter to uninvite somebody from events that are not scheduled? That's, okay, this is a little, a little bit weird. The, you know, the, the, the most interesting, urgent thing that we know about is the primary that's in three weeks. Correct, um, yeah. And then three was the, the complete lack of any specific allegations that could be weighed one way or another. And I wasn't even necessarily looking for the, you know, the name of a person who was claiming some type of harm, but just some type of harm. Like, you know, he did, he did X and, yeah. we, and we object to that. And therefore we don't want him um, doing X again, but th that X wasn't filled in. It was just, he picks up, you know, he picks up students and makes them feel uncomfortable. And maybe a fourth thing that was kind of a flag was their emphasis that Morse had admitted, quote, in writing to sleeping with students. 
Hmm. It's like, well, why do you keep, why do you keep saying in writing? Yeah. Like, like it had a very gotcha feel to it. Like we got him. Mm-hmm. He said it, he said it in writing. And then I'm like, well, what kind of students were these, his students? And so, you know, I kept scrolling, you know, through the article and then the, also the article in Politico looking for any more details and get to the bottom. It's like, oh, this is, this is it. All we know is that they were students and there are a lot of, A, there are a lot of colleges in that part of Western Massachusetts. Right. There are tens of thousands of, of students. Uh, he was a year ago, you know, an adjunct teaching who knows, you know, a dozen or two students, and there was no indication at all that he had slept with any of his own students. But that seemed to be the implication, but if it was only being implied but not stated. So all of those things together just made me just made me ask the question of what what's the allegation here and who's making it? Yeah. And I mean we basically find out through your reporting pretty quickly and it certainly continued throughout the last week that uh, you know, this was, uh, you know, this was planned months ago. Uh, one of the, uh, Timothy Ennis, someone in a leadership position with the UMass Amherst College Dems, uh, uh, w- was a student of Richard Neal's, who was also a professor at UMass and wanted to get through and break into politics with Richard Neal. So it really be- unraveled pretty quickly, um, correct? I mean, it, it seems like the story, it seems like these things usually take, and then we had the story Friday about some coordination between the Massachusetts State Democratic Party. It seems like these usually take a while to suss out, but this thing seemed to all come to bear pretty quickly. Yeah, our first our first story on it, I think, was on, t- on Tuesday. Yeah. So that had been four days. And by then, there had not been anybody coming forward with a any specific allegation and and usually with these me too stories by then you know the second shoe has started to drop so yeah we did our second we did our first story which was reporting that yeah that that the former president now chief strategist had said that he wanted richie neal to be his in into politics um then after that we got um you know we got the chat logs you know among or between a bunch of different people in the, in the leadership where they uh, kind of outlined what their, uh, you know, what they were thinking. And so that was Wednesday night. And then Thursday morning, the uh, state party said that, well, we're, we're going to be investigating the conduct of the college students who, you know, undertook this operation, uh, which uh, then led to additional reporting that we posted this afternoon on Friday uh, that in fact they all they were pledging to investigate themselves. You know they were uh, they were definitively uh, involved in the weeks leading up to it in in coordinating and orchestrating kind of the 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 way the hit un, unfolded. Um, now that's you know something that's important to know is that somebody could somebody could be the uh, the the victim of a premeditated uh, smear. Uh, and also be guilty of something else. Right. You know, so n- n- none of this, none of the reporting says that anything other than what it says. Uh, so, you know, that's that's also something to to keep in mind. But yeah, it has like the the particular attack went from um, having more contemplating uh, dropping out of the race uh, to to where we are now. 
with the, the state party and the college Democrats implicated in, a, in, in an actual conspiracy to uh, launch this attack. Yeah. And I mean, you know, as a journalist, these are such tricky times because, you know, with the Me Too era, obviously, you know, victims rightfully, the pendulum is starting to slowly swing into the survivor's uh, direction. And for all the stories we hear, of course, there are a million uh, that don't involve famous people that we don't hear about and continue to get, you know, swept under, I'm sure. But, you know, also skepticism is vital to journalism. And a story like this comes across. I mean, it's very easy, especially in social media, for an instant reaction. You just, as a journalist and someone who really investigates these things, how do you try and keep that balance during these times where it's so easy to just fire off a reactionary tweet one way or another when you see something like this versus, you know, really kind of digging in and staying disciplined? Uh, so I try, to, I try to frame my responses around what's known. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so, like, for instance, in this case, I, I very intentionally framed my, my, my first kind of co- public comments on it as, as questions. What are... What is the evidence that has come forward? What are what are the allegations? Uh, because, like you said, you know, in the in the pursuit of justice for for victims and survivors, you you always um, want to be open to testimony from people who who are willing to you know tell you you know about their about their trauma and you know there are conventions built up around how we can confirm and corroborate that and and then we bring those to bear at that at that point but it's important to you know have something to begin with like before you before you come to a conclusion you know there was there wasn't anything yet um, to weigh and so to your point yeah that 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 was my approach was to was to put it out as a question and and not a rhetorical or argumentative question either but an actual question like and part of the purpose of that is if there are uh victims out there uh a question like that i've found is often going to uh bring them my way and so that you know opens up the possibility of of new stories um in, instead it ended up bringing uh people who had evidence of of this uh, operation that was that had been underway but yeah. what's it, what's what's important, and a lot I think is uh, some of the maybe sixty plus year old uh, reporters uh, don't get is the kind of the dynamic interaction between um, source building and social media and, and reporting. You know, because I was you know talking about this publicly mm-hmm. on on Twitter, um, and because I was getting attacked so kind of fervently. For, for not just instantly condemning him, you know, that, that meant that people who had information knew that I was someone who was interested in this. Mm-hmm. And so that brought that, so without, you know, if I hadn't, if I hadn't said anything, I, I wouldn't have gotten the story or we wouldn't have gotten the story because, you know, it wasn't just me. Um, uh, Daniel Boguslav, who was a, a contributor for us who is from Massachusetts and uh, Owen Higgins, um, who was also a contributor for us, um, you know, we're, we're integral in, in, in the reporting. Yeah. And so it is using social media as a, as a way to crowdsource in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Because in, that, a, that... in a situation like this, you can't, like you can get a list of, and we did, you know, get a list of every 
member of the College Student Democrats, um, but it's it's you know the the time that goes into that, uh, you know finding their finding their phone numbers. You know they don't answer their their phones. Um, <laughs> finding finding them on social media and finding ways to to message them, and going through you know you have to go through dozens before maybe you find one who's who's open to talking. Um, but if you kind of are able to get the bat signal out there bright enough, then hundreds of thousands of people see it. And within that are half a dozen people who have the information you're looking for. So, you know, instead of um, looking for a needle in a haystack, you're bringing like a giant magnet to the haystack. Right. And the, and the and needle, you, needle just pops out. And then you suss it out from there. Um, as right. a longtime, you know, politics guy and political reporter, Ryan, I mean, do you think that, this story would have been as big or would have even gotten out there if Alex Morse were straight and not gay. That's, that's an interesting question. I mean, you wouldn't have had, you wouldn't have necessarily had the trope of the, 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 the gay predator who's chasing, you know, young men um, mm -hmm. for, for it to, for it to slot into. Um, I think it, I think it depends. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I've been trying to think about that. Let's say it's a 31-year-old uh, male politician yeah. um, who's single and who's the, like, mayor of a small town nearby. And the college Democrats put out – and he's straight, right? He's straight in this situation. Because the college Democrats put out a letter saying he can't come anymore because he's been um, picking up the young women, women right? at, at these events. And the women, you know, are, are, are skeeved out by him and, you know, feel uncomfortable about that and, and feel like um, they, they had a hard time saying no to him because of his power as this nearby mayor. Um, I don't I don't think that would have landed in the same way. Um, I, I don't I can't I can't articulate precisely why other than you know homophobia that kind of like that trope that i referred to earlier um but what do you think yeah i mean i i think that um i think that his sexuality does play a role in it i think if alex morse were straight you would not have seen a line like this in the boston globe kevin cullen is a longtime globe columnist i'm just going to read you a line he says judging he wrote about this a few days ago judging by the reaction on social media Progressives are standing by Morris, as many stood by Bill Clinton two decades ago when he was accused of sexual improprieties mm -hmm. by multiple women. Here's the line. I'm guessing those who accept Morris's explanation were not as forgiving of Judge Roy Moore or Brett Kavanaugh. So that is a columnist in the Boston Globe equating Alex uh. Morris, who at worst had consensual sex with college students, to Roy Moore, who, you know, banned from malls for, you know, preying on underage girls, allegedly, and Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Um, if he were straight, I don't think that, you know, comparison would have been made. So. No, it wouldn't. And he would have had to be. So, right. Like more like Roy Moore. A, you had the hypocrisy angle. Right. Um, but B, you ha he was what? Like 40 and going after like 14 year old girls. Correct. Not not young women. Um, so, right. That, that, I, I don't see any other way that you can explain the line that you read um, than just general lies to homophobia. 
And, and, you know, the thing is, too, and this expands beyond, you know, just gay people. I mean, it happened with Katie Hill to an extent several months ago. I mean, in this time, I mean, do you think that where are we in terms of, you know, I think 20 years ago it was pretty understood that if you were a politician and nude pictures of you, let's just say, got leaked or sexually explicit texts, uh, either side would have been hard to come back from. Do you think now we are at the same place? Or, you know, like if Katie Hill stayed in Congress, would she still have been able to carry out now? Like, where is your take on where we are with all of this? So the, the Katie Hill case is interesting because the way that people have kind of organized it in their mind is that uh, is that she was basically run out for, uh, you know, uh, for photos. Um, when you know, and she survived for a little while, but more kept emerging. And, and right. what really hurt her was that was the affair with um, a staffer, the, right? The rumors or... of the affair with it, or the yes, with multiple staffers mm-hmm. who he, who she was, who she had on her payroll, and who um, she had power over, and who were, um, according to you know people close to them, were 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 actually uncomfortable about this, this situation. Yeah. Um, and so it fit in. It, it fit much more cleanly into in an in abuse of power. But because the photos came out, um, it, it's kind of remembered as she went. She went down in a in a like uh, you know being kind of uh, slut shamed and um, ha- having her photos leaked, which when that's not exactly what what mm. happened. Um, so I think she. I think if all that happened was that. Uh, photo like you know, illicit photos of her of her like smoking uh, a bong surface. naked. If that was the worst of it, <laughs> you know? I think sm- smoking a bong naked. Um, that was a pretty wild one. Uh, but it's California, <laughs> so everybody's like, okay, they're um, they're down with that. You know that, and and that if the people were not working for her, um, then I think, uh, I think she would have survived it. Um, and in fact, she, I think she may make a comeback. Because of the way yeah. that we've reoriented the way that we think about what happened, I think she could. I think she could be. She could make a comeback. We'll see. Just looking at social media, and I know that social media is not indicative of real life. Uh, but I mean, it seems like the pendulum swung kind of back to Alex Morse. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out the next few weeks. Well, we'll see. Because like the, so far, the local press um, has been doing a pretty terrible job of the, the way they they frame it, like a very he said, she said kind of way, which, which also, you know, we'll, we will see. And I think there are a couple of ways it could go. On the one hand, Democratic primary voters could say, you were trying to play on our homophobia. Well, I'll prove to you that I'm not homophobic and I'm going to vote for Alex Morris and I'm going to vote against these dirty tricks uh, by the establishment. The, the other way I could see it going is Democratic primary voters in Western Massachusetts are okay intellectually and ethically with the idea of uh, anti-discrimination, with the idea of being gay. Uh, and they love Mayor Pete, uh, right. but they want to make sure that the it remains an idea. Like they don't actually want to think about what being gay means. They're okay with gay as an identity, but not as right. an act. And so what this is doing is causing all those people to think about it as an act. And it, you know, I think a lot of them don't want to do that because they're not. They're, they're, there's all of that homophobia that um, is still there, 
And so I don't, I don't know. What do you, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the latter point you brought up is correct, especially in regards to, to Mayor Pete, because he was the, a candidate who happened to be gay. He, was, he did not run as a right. gay candidate necessarily. I mean, you know, he, 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 he you know, canceled a, an event of his that was being held at a, a gay club because it had a, a, a strip tease bar or something. So, I mean, mm-hmm. he was he played it very conservatively. I mean, there were no stories that leaked at all about him even saying hello to anybody on a social media app, never mind matching with mm-hmm. them on Tinder, except his husband, of course, because, you know, that's a great story. Right. So. <laughs> right. Um, right. It, it, fit, it fit very cleanly into um you know how kind of straight america wants to think about um being gay in america right Right. uh ryan grimm you can read him at the intercept he's the washington dc bureau chief uh be working hard leading up until uh the primary in september and as we get through this crazy election season ryan thanks for taking a couple minutes much appreciated for sure thanks for having me Thank you for tuning in to another edition of the Sports Kiki. Again, a thanks go out to Ryan Grimm, the D.C. Bureau Chief Reporter for The Intercept, for joining us on the show this week. As always, you can feel free to hit me up on Twitter, at AlexReamer1. My name, again, is at AlexReamer1. Find me there. Thank you for listening. Enjoy the rest of your week.